It's something for nothing. The Rush Fancast. Jerry and Steve with you. Jerry, you're in a good mood today. I can tell. I am. Do you want to know why I'm in a good mood tonight? I want to know why you're in a good mood. Because I just had a metric boat ton of sushi for dinner. (laughs) I don't know what I thought you were going to say, but it wasn't sushi. (laughs) It was so good. I am so happy right now. Very cool. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Rush Fancast. Instagram, find us at The Rushcast. Email Jerry. Tell him your favorite sushi at TheRushCast <laughs> at gmail.com. Follow or subscribe via your favorite podcast app. Give us a review. We like that. The bass intro and outro, that is Lex. And another reason I'm happy today, Jerry, is we're going to be reminiscing about live Rush in mere moments. That's right. But first, you have an email I hear. I do. And it is from Tanyos in Brazil. Hey, Tanyos. He said, a colleague invited me to go to Rio de Janeiro for Russia's first show in Brazil, which would take place on my birthday, November 23rd, 2002. I didn't go. And that certainly figures into the biggest regret I have ever made. The power trio only came into my life in 2004 when two friends described to me the immense emotion of being present at the band's concert in Rio. One of them lent me the Russian Rio DVD, and after watching 40,000 crazy fans jumping nuts in the largest football stadium in the country, I understood. The guitarist designed the sound, the drummer played absurdly at the pinnacle of precision, and one guy played bass, keyboards, and sang in a squeaky, beautiful voice. Three guys, and you had the crystal clear perception that for the quality of the music, there should be at least 10 guys on stage. After watching and watching again, I couldn't stop. I thought it might be the excited, youthful expression of my 23 years, but the truth was, in fact, something had changed in my life. Precisely in the guitar solo of Earthshine, I realized I am a Rush fan. Awesome. In the next few years, talking about the lyrics, the music, and, as I like to say, the Rush philosophy, was all I did. I downloaded MP3s. That's old, isn't it? I went to internet forums. I went looking for references and information about the band. It's possible that at some point I may have gone through the entire fandom, but the objective fact was that the content was the most essential. And if there's anything to Rush, it's the essence without the shell. Expressing this love for Rush has its dangers, though. I remember an episode when I worked as a character at Disney Parks in Florida in 2005 the best job in the world. That's what he put in parentheses, the best job in the world. I don't know if he he means that sarcastically or not. I guess he loved the job. I acted as eight characters, but mainly as goofy. Disney is quite strict about protocols to follow regarding the characteristics of each character. By default, if someone asks for an autograph, we should sign it. Goofy loves you. L-U-V-S, you. (laughs) Well, I remember working as Goofy at an Animal Kingdom restaurant and a customer wearing an R30 t-shirt asked me for an autograph. I took the notebook and signed Goofy Lee loves you and started to (laughs) imitate playing the bass. (laughs) The best Rush air bass that was ever played at Disney. The customer simply broke into a huge smile and said, yeah, Rush, Goofy Lee, thank you very much. And that was awesome. I'll skip ahead to 2010 when the band announced that they would come to Brazil for the second time on the Time Machine Tour. The idea of creating a tour-themed parody video using Back to the Future as a base came to my head. 
I stayed indoors for a month, and in the end, I released 2112 Back to the Future, which is a video that mixed elements of Back to the Future in 2112. I tried to look for it. I couldn't find it anywhere. Wow. Anyway, he said, I had copyright problems with YouTube, but I posted it on another platform, and the video was well-received by fans. So well, in fact, that the material made it into the hands of MTV, and they made me an official invitation to cover the show in Sao Paulo. Wow. Watching Rush's concert in Brazil with my friends was one of the best experiences I ever had. I've continued creating content about the band in recent years. I met many cover bands, and I've interviewed well-known names like DJ Donna Halper and David Calcano from Fantunes. And I've talked to fun people like Craig Blazer, who is Rush's production manager. And finally, I have a new website to pull together all of this creative and philosophical material about Rush, which can be read in English, Portuguese, and Spanish. And that website is portalrushbrazil.com.br. But the thing to remember is that Brazil is spelled with an S. Ah, yes. So it's B-R-A-S-I-L.com. At this very moment, I conclude this email from the airport. I am taking a flight to another state 800 miles away from my city and going to attend Rush Fest, the biggest event about Rush in the world. A big hug to the Rush cast. That's how we ended it. And he created the, the portal Rush Brazil. So that's pretty cool. That might be the best email you ever read. <laughs> that was great. Goofy Lee. There's so many things about that email. First of all, the fact that he described Neil's drumming as absurd is perfect. It is. Isn't it? Yeah. That's the way to describe it if you've never seen it before. Yeah. And he made me feel old when he said MP3s are right. so yesterday. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're still downloading MP3s, aren't you? Of Steve? course I am. <laughs> I'm still playing CDs. I'm still playing vinyl. <laughs> you've got your eight tracks. Yeah, playing eight tracks. And I thought this was the best job in the world, Chair. What? What we do? <laughs> This job? I guess we have to get jobs at Disney, and then we'll see. We can compare. Then we'll have to yeah, have to compare them, yeah. All right. Well, for this job, we're talking about Snakes and Arrows Live today, Jer. Released April 14th, 2008. Live double CD and DVD. The DVD was released on November 24th, 2008. We're going to be talking about the CD only today. Yes. Mixed by Richard Chickey and Alex Lifeson. The material was taken from two shows on the Snakes and Arrows Tour, October 16th and 17th at Ahoy Arena in Rotterdam, Netherlands. Ahoy! And when Getty says that at the end, he's like, thank you, Ahoy! <laughs> that was funny. The running time of the CD is 2 hours, 32 minutes, and 42 seconds. Another full show. Right. And there is a single that was released from this album, Jer. Do you care to guess what the single was out of 27 tracks? <laughs> <laughs> I am going to narrow it down a little bit anyway and say it was something from Snakes and Arrows. Yes, it was. Okay, you've narrowed okay, it down. There are okay. nine tracks from Snakes and Arrows. Give it a shot. Yeah, can you believe they played nine tracks? I believe it. I am going to go with... Far Cry. Oh, working them angels. Ah, right after it in the set list. Yeah, I know. You were so close. You were so close. So before we start talking about the music, Jar, I thought we should talk quickly 
about the cover art. Oh, yes, the cover art. If you recall, when we talked about Snakes and Arrows, Hugh Syme created this cover art for Snakes and Arrows, which was rejected by Neil. That's right. He, of course, used the game board for Snakes and Arrows, right? That's right. But this one got on the live record. Yeah, cool. All he did was change one thing. The sign says live. That's right. Where in Snakes and Arrows, the live was not there. But, you know, it's the baby cross on the road. There's a snake cross on the road. There's arrows stuck in the ground. Possibly shooting at the baby or the snake. Possibly. And there's the sign. What do you call this sign? Is that like curved road ahead sign? Dangerous curve ahead, perhaps. And there are what looks like bullet holes in the sign. (laughs) Yes, it does, right? What do you think that means? I, I don't know. War, pestilence. I'm not sure. Anyway, when we talked about Snakes and Arrows, I thought this was a better cover than the one Neil ultimately chose. And Hugh Syme finally got his way and got this on a Rush album. Yeah, maybe a little consolation prize, right? Exactly. Wouldn't want to waste a good piece of art. So what do you say we jump into the music jar? It's exciting. Yeah, let's do it. Track one is Limelight. How great was it that they opened with Limelight? I know. I know. This, here, here is my problem over the years, Steve. I don't have committed to memory too many Rush concerts. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And when I started listening to this for the first time in God knows how long, I was like, wow, this is a great set list. Yeah. What an amazing set list. Because remember when we did our set lists with uh, Ted Azurgado, Mm-hmm. Um, like episode like 126 or something like that. We didn't come up with set lists like this. This is a great set list. This is a great set list. Yeah, I was going to mention this later on. Their set list construction was impeccable. Yes. How did they do this so well? Decades of practice and knowing their audience. We don't know the Rush audience, obviously. Clearly. Clearly. But nine songs off Snakes and Arrows, and still, this is an amazing, <laughs> right? amazing set yes. list. Not that Snakes and Arrows is a bad album, but no. to take nine songs from one album and still create an amazing set list just goes to show you how great a band this is. Right. And at one part, uh, there's like five Snakes and Arrows songs in a row. Yeah. And they all sound great. But anyway, Limelight, you mentioned. Yes. Your thoughts? Well, I don't know if this was just at these shows or if it was something that happened every time, but Alex begins the song, but then... He does like the riff. Mm-hmm. He just lets it ring. Yeah. I don't know if that was just someone wasn't ready or something or some switch wasn't switched. Do you have any recollection of him like coming out on stage and just going da 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 and just letting it ring? I don't recall that, but I think it's cool. 
Yeah, it's very cool. So what are your thoughts on the overall sound of this album compared to the other live albums we've listened to? I think it sounds a little a little more raw, a little more muddy to me. And I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. Right. I was I was thinking in contrast to Russian Rio. Mm-hmm. It sounds less raw yes. than Russian Rio, a little more polished than Russian Rio. But it still has some of the great actual live quality that Russian Rio has that maybe some of the other live releases before this didn't have. Like different stages. I mean, different stages sounds right. great, but it's almost like a live studio album. It's so, it sounds so good. It sounds so good. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, and this is, a, and again, a full concert. Right. So it sounds like a concert, but just a little more polished on the back end. I don't know if you could tell, but I noticed a difference between certain songs because I read earlier that this album was taken from two different shows in the Netherlands. And I think you can tell the difference in some spots. Like for instance, we're, we're going to talk a little bit later. Well, I'll mention it later, but I think in certain spots you can tell the difference. This one was recorded one night. This one was recorded a different night. Did you notice that? No, my hearing is terrible. Um, <laughs> I did notice though, that sometimes like the crowd noise at the end of a song just kind of dropped off. Mm. So it's, it was obviously from another night or maybe they just, there was a long pause that they just kind of cut up. You know what I mean? So it wasn't as seamless to make it seem like it was definitely from the same night in a couple of places. Yeah. I think what they did was they recorded both shows and they took the best version of each song and chose that for the live album. Yeah. Makes sense. It does make sense. All right, let's move on to track two. It's a good one. Digital man. I seem to remember being at our first Snakes and Arrows show and when Rush tore into Digital Man, when Neil's drum fill started, we just went bananas. Yeah, I kind of remember that too. (laughs) (laughs) But as mentioned before, I I definitely remember them playing Digital Man. Such a gem to pull out. That's the thing with this set list, this concert. There are a few gems that were picked up and dusted off and polished up and presented, right? Yeah. For sure. Now, do you think this album, we talked about the Grace Under Pressure show had a Grace Under Pressure tone to it. Right. And Russian Rio had a Vapor Trails tone to it. Do you think that this show has a Snakes and Arrows sort of tone to it? Is there more acoustic guitar shining through here, in your opinion? There is. And that, I think, is because they picked songs that had some acoustic guitar in it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But overall, I think the tone is probably closer to that meatier tone than what's on Snakes and Arrows, the album. Yes. And this is just a great version of Digital Man. Alex's solo is so, so good on (laughs) this song, right? Right. Absolutely. And it's the groove under the solo, too, that Getty and Neil are playing. Feels slightly different than the album version. Yes. I can't, I can't really put my finger on it. 
you know, I can't tell you, you know, what beats they're playing differently or what the lines are, but it definitely has a different feel to it. And that gives the solo a, a new feel to it. It's really a refreshing version of the song. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that Rush dusted off some older tracks and track three is another one. They had to blow the dust off this one, Jer. <laughs> they did. Entree new. Just between us, I think it's time for us to Again, I just remember when they started playing this, I couldn't believe it. I never thought I'd see them do Entree No, did you? No. And at this point, I was probably thinking, is this just going to be like the oldies? <laughs> this whole concert is going to just be oldies from here on in? I was, I was pretty psyched about that. Oh, yeah, me too. But, you know, this was the live premiere on this tour of Entree No. They had never played it before. Do you think Alex is more upfront in the mix on this album, especially on this song? Alex is up front for me, at least. It certainly seems that way, but there are definitely parts where everybody, you can, you can hear everybody singularly. Mm-hmm. It is, again, mixed very well. But, you know, Alex live is kind of, I don't know, the, the keynote speaker of the band sometimes. Yeah, he really cuts through, right? Yeah, he definitely cuts through. So I don't know if that's just a function of the great guitar parts that are being played. I'm not sure. Well, this is another one that fits right in with the Snakes and Arrows theme with the acoustic guitar. It just, it just fits, and I guess that's why they pulled it out. Yeah, and we're so glad they did. And we're so glad they did. Now, this is the point where I noticed a difference in the sound of Entree New and then the sound of track four, which is Mission. Entree New, Getty sounds like he's kind of far away a little bit, a little bit for me. And on Mission... I hear Getty's voice much more clearly. It mm. just makes me think that the miking was a little different between Entree No and Mission. I think Entree No was from one show, Mission was from another. Maybe I'm just imagining it, but. I mean, it could be. What I noticed during the show, though, is that it seems in some places like the crowd noise is boosted a little bit. Did you? There's a lot of crowd. Mm hmm. Even while they're playing, you can hear the crowd many times. And I like that. I do like it. It just, at some points, it seemed like it was more than it normally would be. Because some songs, there's like cheering going on the entire time. And just from my recollection of Rush shows, it wasn't like that constantly. Yeah, but maybe after they mixed Rush and Rio and it sounded so great with the crowd going crazy, they decided to boost up the crowd on this one. (laughs) Yeah, maybe they did. Maybe they did. So track five after mission is free will, another live staple and the keyboards are up front on this one for me. Yeah. This is just a a fantastic and solid version of free will. No complaints about any note played and the solo section, you know, they tear you a new one like they always do. (laughs) That's right. Which brings us to track six, Jer, which will play a selection from the main monkey business.
may remember, Steve, that the instrumentals other than La Villa and YYZ are not my favorites. I remember. Everything else is a, is a distant third. However, this version of the main monkey business changed my mind a little bit. And I don't know where I was when they played this song on this tour that I didn't come away with that impression then. Because this is so muscular. And Alex is just doing the craziest things. I just love this version. I think this is a really, really, really great song now. What I think is that Rush's instrumentals were made to be played live. They're always better live than they are in the studio. Always. Right. But the question is, where was I? Well, you were at Madison Square Garden (laughs) on September 17th, 2007, and you saw them do this. I'm sure it was just as great. I know. I don't know what what my problem was. And I really liked Snakes and Arrows when it came out. So I don't know. Maybe I was just had blinders on, but man, this is a, this is a fantastic version. And I just think it's better than the studio version. It just is. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. hundred percent, hundred percent. And it flows perfectly into the next track, which is also from snakes and arrows. And it's the larger bowl. Some are blessed and some are his acoustic guitar sound on this is just amazing he's using an electric though to play this acoustic yeah so it still sounds great and i think as we go along here and this is i think a normal thing for live albums i feel like the sound is getting better as we go along in the show because the the crew is obviously mixing things as they go along and improving things here and there right i feel like the sound's getting a little better as we creep along on this long long record yeah, I guess you can't get everything down in um, sound check, right? No, no. Well, I mean, every live show I've ever been to, the first song always seems to be the the worst sounding song. Any band, right? You got to work on it till you get it right. And when you have the crowd in the room, it sounds different than during sound check. I would think. Yeah, that's true. One more thing though is Getty's voice sounds great. Oh yeah, on the song whole concert it sounds great did you have any insight on whether he was sick on this particular one it seems like he's <laughs> sick on every live record no i didn't read anything about any illness so maybe he kept it on the wraps this time no wonder he sounds great <laughs> now track eight is secret touch we got some flack last time we talked about a live album because we kind of glazed over at least according to one of our listeners the vapor trail songs okay so let's not glaze over this this is amazing there is never love without
particularly nasty on this one. Yeah, so heavy. I mean, Alex is just front, front and center. And I love the little jam at the end that they do. Oh, yeah. It's a little tiny little kind of a extended little jam. It's a, there's a lot of moments, jammy moments, I think, on stage. So track nine, Jer, is Circumstances. Now I Another one they dusted off, Jer. Yep. And did you notice anything in particular about this version of circumstances? Uh-oh. <laughs> I don't know. All I wrote, I had, I wrote down. I thought the keyboards sounded churchy. Churchy. Yeah, I felt like it almost sem- sounded like a like a big church organ at the parts. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? In this context, it's a great thing. Oh, okay, good. Maybe other contexts, not so great. But what should I have noticed, Steve? What did you pick up? I'm not saying you should have noticed, but I noticed it's played in a different key, I think. Really? A little bit lower key, like maybe maybe a half step or a full step lower. Hmm. I think maybe, you know, for Getty to sing it more easily because he doesn't have as high a register as he did. Right. Back when this song was originally recorded. Well, they definitely did that with some songs. I didn't happen to notice it on this one, so... But I don't think it hurts the song at all, but I, I definitely noticed it. Yeah. But this is just another, another gift to the fans to bring this one out on this tour. Oh, yeah. And like you said, it's just a perfect set list. They played so many new songs, yet played so many old songs that we had never seen them do until this point. Yeah. Really incredible. Now, another track that was kind of a deep cut for Rush but they pulled it out a lot on tour and that is between the wheels. And this is another amazing version. And this is the second time I believe that we saw them play up to this point between the wheels because they played it on R30. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting in radio city and you know, when we used to go, we avoided set lists and stuff like that. So we'd be surprised, but you unfortunately had gotten a peek at the set list and you were like, there's a, it's going to be a really like deep cut song coming up. And you had me guess, and I must have rattled off like 10 or 15. You're like, nope, nope. Oh, that would have been good. Nope, not that one. Nope, not that one. I didn't guess it. And then it came on. I was like, ah, I should have guessed between the wheels. Yeah, but how could you guess? There were over 100 songs to choose from. I mean, come on. But Alex's solo on this really stands out to me. I know we say this all the time, but. Say it all the time. Because it needs to be said. Needs to be said, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And the beginning is, is particularly ominous sounding, you know? Oh, yeah. So I like that. I'm there for that. And another highlight from this show is the next track, which is the end of the first set, but not the end of side one of the album. And that is Dreamline. And the first song on Roll the Bones, I believe, 
Is it the only song from Roll the Bones in this set? I think it is. Oh, they didn't play Roll the Bones, so. Yeah, that's rare in itself that they didn't play right. Roll the Bones, right? Yeah. But if they were going to pick any song from Roll the Bones, this is the one I would choose. Oh, yeah, definitely the one I would choose, too. And I thought it was a, a good version. I wrote down that it was a, a solid version. Okay. I didn't think it was a particular standout on the album. Do you think differently? Um, I don't know if it's a standout, but I thought it was good. Yeah, it was really good. It's always good. I love that song. So the second set starts with Far Cry, and Rush played this, I believe, every single tour after this album came out. Did you fact check that before you uh, said it? Of course it, I didn't. I said I believe <laughs> that oh, they that's, did it. Oh my God, that's a great way to get, get out of yeah. making any kind of concrete statements. I believe... <laughs> They played this song that way. That way, you can't get in trouble. For it's saying. my recollection that possibly <laughs> Rush played this on every single tour after Snakes and Arrows, but I think they did. I'm gonna agree with you, Steve. <laughs> Just so we can both get the hate. Yes, now. we're both wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I I love Far Cry. I think it's a great song to kick off the second set. And for some reason, on this song, I know you were talking about how songs sound different from different nights Mm -hmm. you can really hear like the symbols on this song for some reason you know what i mean Mm -hmm. when neil is striking the bell you can really really hear it up front i don't know if that's just a quirk of where the microphones are placed maybe on this song they can't be changing microphones mid song i don't think they're changing microphones i think what alex is doing when he's mixing this is just honing in on particular sounds from each song yeah you know, on one song, maybe it's Neil. On another song, maybe it's Alex. On another song, maybe it's Getty's voice or his bass. Yeah. He's just pinpointing the best aspects of every song. Yeah. Well, he definitely did it on this one. Far Cry has such a great and unusual guitar solo to it. And you can really, really hear the scratchy, scratchy guitars during the chorus. Mm-hmm. Such a well-mixed song. That's all I really have to say. Okay. So track 13 is working them angels. And I just think it's amazing that Rush, again, played nine songs from Snakes and Arrows on this tour. How many bands, when the new album comes out and they tour, play nine songs from the new album? How many bands do that? Uh, Not many. How about zero? <laughs> and this is, starting with Far Cry, we get five songs in a row Yeah, from Snakes and Arrows. That in itself, I mean, usually bands will cluster songs together, but five in a row from the new ones. Not only are they playing nine songs from Snakes and Arrows, but we're happy about it. Yeah, exactly. One thing I love most about this song is that during the solo, Mm -hmm. just again, the way it's mixed and put together, you can really tell it's just three guys playing together on stage. Yeah. There's a couple, there's one, at least one other song where you get the feeling. It's like, yeah, there's just three guys up on stage. It's not a whole bunch of stuff going off and around and keyboards and stuff like that. Getty's playing bass. Neil's playing the drums. Alex is soloing. Just three guys. It's great. Yeah. And you know, they loved playing this song because they pulled this out a few times in later tours too. Yeah. And I wanted to highlight the next track, Jer, which is track 14. It's the last track on side one of the two CD set and it's armor and sword. Armor and sword. 
this is one we talked about snakes and arrows it wasn't a favorite of ours when the album first came out Mm -hmm. but after we talked about it it became a favorite of ours and now listening to this live i'm kind of pissed at myself for not appreciating it more (laughs) when i saw it live i felt the same way it is so i don't want to say bombastic it's not really bombastic it's definitely has the energy that the song deserves. Mm-hmm. And since we weren't really into it on the album, we probably didn't really, you know, pay that close attention to it. And again, sort of like the main monkey business, I should have paid attention to it because it's fantastic. Right. I don't know what I was thinking. I was so much younger than Steve, you know, I was foolish <laughs> when I was young. But what stands out to me on this is just Neil wailing on those symbols. Yeah. As if you know, you're hearing the clash of armor. Right. And it's so great. So great. Yeah. Such a great, it's really a, it's really a fantastic album and we're just, it just keeps getting better as the album goes on. Yeah. Yeah. So we're on to disc two and track one on disc two is spin drift. Another song from snakes and arrows. And again, this one's so much better to me now after we talked about it and really dug deep into snakes and arrows yeah. And there's so much intricate guitar work by Alex on this song. It seems like more than on the studio version to me at least. Oh, yeah. That and it, this and the way the wind blows. Yeah. Both of them some great great guitar work. And Neil's drum intro on the way the wind blows. Yeah. It's kind of Just, an extra thing that he threw in there that wasn't on the record which I thought was cool. Yeah. Both of these songs are amazing. And again, should have paid more attention when we were there, Steve. Maybe I was out getting a, a soda. I don't know what I was doing. And we should have been in Rotterdam. Why weren't we in Rotterdam? <laughs> why, why, why weren't we? I don't know. Why didn't we travel to see Rush? We really missed out. <laughs> we did. We should have gone places, Steve. All these people that saw Rush over 100 times and traveled all over the world, I'm very jealous of them. Yeah. Yeah, well, should have had a better job back then. <laughs> I had some extra money. <laughs> That's true. And the next track is one of your favorites, Jer. Yep. Fits in perfectly with this set, too. Subdivisions. else can we say about subdivisions that we haven't already said go nothing (laughs) end of story end of transmission (laughs) but this is where things just like we're going on a ride from here on yeah out yeah subdivisions is great always great always great that's all i have to say and getty's voice sounds great on this version too i think oh absolutely he's in he's in good form tonight Eventually, you're going to have to do all of the live releases. Right. The Time Machine Tour. Mm-hmm. R40, Clockwork Angels. Yeah. All of those. And I think on a couple of those, Getty's voice isn't really as good as it could be. So I'm enjoying his voice now because it sounds fantastic. Okay. Well, you know, one of my favorite songs to see live is the next one, and it is Natural Science. Who is with me? Who is inspired away? I'm 
lights, the video background, so trippy. Alex's acoustic open fits right in with the Snakes and Arrows theme, like we mentioned. It's got that Snakes and Arrows feel to it. Yeah. The one thing, as I was listening to this, is that I was expecting a roar to go up in the crowd. And everybody's kind of silent. Because I know when we saw it and they started strumming the opening to Natural Science, the place kind of blew up a little bit because we're like, Natural Science? What? But the crowd was the crowd was really quiet. Maybe it's because the show is in Rotterdam. Maybe uh, Permanent Waves isn't a big record in the Netherlands. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's not like Brazil where they were into every single song and had every single album memorized. Maybe, maybe that's not a an album that's widely released in the Netherlands. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. And as an interesting thing in this song is that I I can hear sounds like it anyway the crowd kind of chanting along with some of the instrumental parts. Did you hear that? I didn't notice that, but I'm sure it was happening. And I wonder if that was happening, obviously because of Russian Rio, or if that's something that happens also in the, in the Netherlands. I don't know. If they didn't know the song at the beginning, they sure as hell knew it by the end of it. <laughs> right. True. Because even after Russian Rio came out, audiences in the States here, weren't chanting along to YYZ. So I don't, it wasn't something that I caught on. That's what I'm trying to say. Well, it could be a Dutch thing, right? We'll have to ask some of our listeners. All right. Tell us what they, tell us what they know. Tell us what they believe. Right in at the rushcast at gmail.com. Let us know if you were at the Ahoy show. Right. Track five on side two, Jer, is Witch Hunt. Yeah. What a surprise. Witch hunt. Really? And it fits in perfectly again. The set construction, Jer. <laughs> I know. I know, Steve. Masters. Now, who do you think was the mastermind behind the set construction? Was it an equal partnership? Was Getty or Alex or Neil the head of the set construction committee? I don't know. I love the mob at the beginning. You can hear the uh, the mob chanting at the beginning of this, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, you could you could definitely hear Neil. Yeah, all you hear is something something of all mankind, really really <laughs> loud. <laughs> so we go from witch hunt to malignant narcissism, and again, the instrumentals always seem better live than the studio versions, and this one does too. Yeah, again, not the biggest fan of the recording. The studio recording, great here. Just just amazing. And it goes into Neil's drum solo, Jer. Dislike worker. <laughs> Which I looked it up. Supposedly means the battle worker? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So what do you think about this drum solo? It almost sounds like part of it in the middle is an assembly line. Yes, that's what right. I wrote down. Right? Factory work. Yes. The battle worker, factory work, right? Right. Yes. Because he, uh, there's that 
that section in a lot of his solos where it's, I don't know if they're marimbas or whatever, like, right? In this one, it sounds like it's happening inside of a factory. Yes. I never put together until I looked up what their slag worker meant. Right. And then I listened to it and I said, yes. I'm, I'm thinking as I'm listening to this, this would be the great, a great soundtrack to like a silent Charlie Chaplin film where he's just doing some kind of crazy cuckoo stuff in a, in a factory. It was so good. But again, I don't remember it being this good. I don't remember this part from the concerts that we saw. It's all those drugs you were doing, Jared. That's what it is. <laughs> Your brain cells were just gone. (laughs) It is such an interesting guitar. I almost said guitar solo. It's such an interesting solo. And then after that part, which is like mind blowing. Yes. There's like a beautiful Mm -hmm. part. Just beautiful. He's he's barely even like playing. I'm just in awe of this drum solo. Every single drum solo Neil constructed for every single tour was better than the last. I, I think we're discovering this. Yeah. And there's parts in there where it sounds like the being of uh, the way the wind blows, mm-hmm. taking inspiration from, from the current album, working in all of these different elements. Um, and then, of course, it has that classic kind of ending. Yeah. The big band ending. Mm-hmm. Just fantastic. Well done, Professor. Well done is right. And speaking of well done, the next track, Alex on Hope, beautiful as always. That's all I'll say. Yep. Yep. It's a beautiful little solo. Now, interestingly, uh, the next track, you know, I was looking at, at the concert we were at at Madison Square Garden. They played Distant Early Warning like they do on this album. Yes. The other show I saw on the Snakes and Arrows tour, Jerry, you were not at. That is true. The Toyota Pavilion at Montage Mountain in Scranton. <laughs> right. The single lane in and out, right? Yeah, single lane in and out. They played Summertime Blues in this slot. Right. So that was an interesting thing I, I, I caught. Right. I would prefer to see Distant Early Warning. Oh, me too. And what do you think of this version of Distant Early Warning? It's fantastic. And as I was listening to it, you know, I realized it, it's not very keyboard heavy. No. For some reason, like the, the studio version sounds like it has a lot more keyboards on it than this version does. But I think they're the same amount of keyboards. I don't know why this one doesn't sound sound like it has a lot of keyboards on it. Well, maybe because it's in that snakes and arrows mold, which is not yeah. keyboardy at all. Yeah, maybe that's right. So good though. The thing that jumped out at me is 
it's very late in the set list. I don't recall Distant Early Warning ever being this late in the set list. That was always one that they had in one, two, or three. That slot up there. Am I crazy? Well, I mean, that's a different question. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely late. But, you know, now we're sliding into the home plate here, though. Right. right. At the end of this concert. So it's great placement. But, you know, it's like we said before. It doesn't matter where these songs are placed. They could be first. They could be last. They could be in the middle. They could be in the first mm-hmm. third. They can be in the last third. They just always sound great wherever they are. Now, two songs that sound great at the very end of a set are The Spirit of Radio and Tom Sawyer, and that's what we get next, back-to-back. Back. Yeah. And can it get better than that, really? No. Two, two perfect renditions of two perfect songs. Two great tastes that go great together, like <laughs> peanut butter and chocolate. <laughs> that's right. Which one's peanut butter, Steve? Is The Spirit of Radio peanut butter and Tom Sawyer chocolate? I don't know. I think Tom Sawyer's peanut butter. Oh, okay. I, either way. Either way, but Neil sounds like he's hitting the drums extra hard on these songs for some reason to me. I don't know why. I mean, like you said, it could just be the the mix wanted to bring out the the greatness of these songs. Um, and Spirit of Radio, it sounds like people are clapping instead of doing the little the little finger thing. Okay, why not? I know, but I, I everybody usually did the finger thing. But I think it depends right. on what Getty's doing. I, re- I seem to recall Getty sometimes doing the, the clap over his head. Really? Okay. Yeah, I think he did that sometimes. And, and without the video, it's hard to tell what Getty was doing. If De- Trust me, if Getty was doing the finger thing, the crowd would be doing the finger thing. Right. So I think Getty had them clapping. So gosh darn it, they're going to clap. Yeah. But like I said, uh, once before at least, I always wondered if Getty did the, the finger thing so that people wouldn't clap. Because people in concerts are notoriously offbeat when they clap. Hmm. Maybe Getty had some insight and knew the Netherlands were uh, (laughs) on-beat clappers. (laughs) They all had great rhythm over there. (laughs) So Tom Sawyer was the last song on set two, which brings us to the encores, Jar. And as usual, Rush picks some great encores, too. Yep. And the first one is One Little Victory. song because the the dragon video was always cool the dragon video was cool and the fire right and you could if you were close enough you could feel the heat of that fire it was just great how hot was it on stage if you could feel it in the in the audience ridiculous oh really hot because i remember didn't jonathan dinklage tell us how hot it was when that fire shot off when they were i mean (laughs) literally right behind them yeah yeah (laughs) that's got to be scary man well, I guess you get used to it, but it's still hot. Yeah. I mean, you're sweating as it is. Forget when that fire starts going. <laughs> I have to wear like an asbestos t-shirt. But Neil with the double bass at the beginning is just great. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's such a, an interesting placement of this song because this song is relatively new. Mm-hmm. And to start off the encore with this song is just a brilliant move because it is such a pumped up song. Mm-hmm. You know? 
it really it really kicks off the encore in a special way and it just show, and it just shows how proud rush was of their recent work yeah absolutely to highlight it in this way yeah and as usual the second song the second song of the encore just seems to be always a deep track right it seems to i believe that is true steve i mean cinderella man right on a recent show we we talked about that's a deep cut yeah passage to bangkok too wow yeah how great is that yeah what a treat and this is a great version of it man they're having such fun with these three songs now the thing i noticed this is the oldest song on this set list jer the oldest oh well yeah that's the only pre-hemisphere song on this list how amazing is that i know Uh, think about this we talked about the show from the a farewell to king's tour at hammersmith Mm -hmm. right yeah oh yeah now if you told rush 30 years later you're going to do another show that's just as great as this one but you're not going to play any of these songs you're going to play (laughs) a completely different set of songs you're not playing any of these songs right right yeah any of these classic instant classic songs Think about that. Every song they played at that Hammersmith show, they didn't play at this one. Every one. Right. I didn't think about that, Steve. You're blowing my mind over here. No Closer to the Heart. No Xanadu. That's right. No Closer to the Heart. No Working Man. No 2112. Right? Right. No Bastille Day. No Lakeside Park. None of that. No. Uh, I, was trying, I was trying to come up with a song that we didn't want to listen to. <laughs> I couldn't. I put myself on the spot. How many albums, Steve, do they have after that? So, and there's so many good albums. The few bands that have existed this long, the very few bands that have existed this long, could they possibly play a show in the seventies and then play a show 30 years later and have two completely different set lists, not one song repeated? No, we can talk about the stones again. We always seem to, (laughs) we always seem to land on the stones. You brought it up. I didn't bring up the stones. But no, they, it, it would not happen. Would not happen. I'm going to say that Rush is the greatest band of all time. I'm going to say it right here, right now. I mean, that's why we're doing the show. We don't say it explicitly every, every week, but I mean, that, that's, the, that's the underpinning of this whole operation, Steve. Yeah. Another great solo by Alex on the passage to Bangkok. Of course. And then we end with, what song haven't we played yet, Jer? YYZ. YYZ. to end with i just named a bunch of them that they could have ended with right they could have done working man but they went with yyz and could you find a better choice than that yeah and in my mind which is a place you don't want to be (laughs) i was gonna say i'm not going there (laughs) i always remember rush concerts ending with something from the first album right working man 
or something. Yeah, you talked about that a few episodes ago. Right, not YYZ. I totally forgot they ended with YYZ. What a great way to end the show. What a great way to end the show. Like we always say, you could pick, I don't know, one of 20 different songs to end the show with, and then you would say the same thing. What a great way to end the show. Yeah. Right? So many great songs. And again, another instrumental and another one that's hard to believe, but even better than the studio version when they play it live. Yeah, always, always great. Always great. And ending with an instrumental, I don't know, it just seems odd, right? Not odd for Rush, but I mean like not having the singer sing right. for the last song. Right. It's an unusual thing for a band to do. Rush can do whatever they want. They can do whatever they want, Steve. I'm not going to stop them. And they did. Yep. So your thoughts overall on Snakes and Arrows Live, Jer? How does this compare? I always ask you this. How does this compare to the other live records? Where do you rank it? It's hard to do. This one's very hard to do. This one's very hard to do. And I don't know where to place it. I think I'm going to need a broader perspective. Mm-hmm. We do some of the later live releases. I think then is when I'll have to rank them. Do you know what I mean? Like from Russian Rio through R40. Okay. When, when we do R40, I guess will be the last live one we do, right? We'll rank them then. How about that? Yeah. And it might be more fair to rank the early live albums separately from the later live albums. Don't you think? Because the later live albums are full concerts. Yeah. Yeah. I think that might be more fair. So we'll do that. Yeah. Let's do that. That just kicks the the decision down the road a little more. Exactly. We'll do that on episode 250 or something like that. (laughs) 250? (laughs) Oh, don't get ahead of yourself, Steve. Oh, man. You had one more thing you wanted to bring up before we wrap things up, didn't you? I do. Do you remember um, a couple of weeks ago, I posted a lot of images on Instagram from these magazines that I found? Oh, yeah, yeah. So inside these magazines circus magazines from the seventies. I was leafing through a couple of them. And of course the ones that have the rush articles in them also have rush advertisements in them. Oh, cool. So there are two advertisements. One is for archives, which I don't think you've seen yet. Hold on. Let me me see if I can show you, Steve. Hold it up. Oh no, you did show me that. Now this one wasn't in the rush gigs book that Mark and Ray wrote, right? It was not. It is a hand holding the star man and it's advertising rush archives, which they describe as a specially priced limited edition set containing three legendary rush albums, rush fly by night and caress of steel. And then the second one that I found is this classic farewell to Kings one, which was in the rush gigs book. I do recall that it is in the rush gigs book, but it's probably best known for having three pretty awful drawings (laughs) drawings <laughs> of band members of the band members these are not flattering pictures of the guys so what i'm going to do is we're going to give both of these away oh nice just to two different people not to the same person so if you want to well let's put it this way if you're on the mailing list already just like the other things that we've given away you don't have to you know send your name into the email again but if you want to have either of these advertisements for your own collection and i'll post pictures of them on the instagram the week that this episode comes out if you want to you know have a chance to win one of these just send an email to me you can either 
be on the mailing list, but if you just want to to have a chance to win one of these, just tell me that you don't want to be on the mailing list. You just want to enter and uh, that'll be fine with me. Now, why would anyone not want to be on the mailing list, Jared? That seems insane to me. I I don't know, Steve. (laughs) Just giving people options is all. Anyway, the email address again is therushcast at gmail.com. Tell Jerry you want to be on the mailing list. Tell me you want to be entered to win one of these cool ads from Circus Magazine. You can also find us on Twitter. We're at RushFanCast. Instagram, we're at TheRushCast. The base intro and outro, that is Lex. And Jerry, I hope you have a great quote to wrap up this great episode. I do. It's from the larger bowl. Oh, nice. The golden one are scarred from birth. Some things can never be changed. Such a lot of pain on the earth. It's somehow so badly arranged. Some things can never be changed. Some reasons will never come clear. It's somehow so badly arranged. If we're so much the same, like I always hear. Truer words were never spoken, Jer. Yep. Thanks. All right. See you later.